0: Well, good morning, Sailorville. Happy Palm Sunday to you, Psalm Sunday, and we invite you to take your Bibles, if you have a Bible, and find Matthew chapter 27. We're not going to be preaching on Palm Sunday, just to know this is the beginning of the Easter week with a lot of things going on, praying all week at 6 a.m. this week. Love to invite all of you to think about coming to that, sacrifice a little sleep, sleep deprivation, and be here at 6 a.m. Monday through Friday this week as we ready our hearts for Good Friday and then Resurrection Sunday, amen? amen. We're doing that a little bit today as well in Matthew chapter 27, and we're gonna be harmonizing several gospel accounts, but as we get going, if you've been around Sailorville for any period of time, you know, I've shared uh, a very formative moment in my own life uh, It took place as a young aspiring uh, pastor, not a pastor at the time, actually attending this very church, Sailorville Baptist Church at the time, when Jared Leonard, one, the, our elder over our children's ministry, his great-grandfather and great-grandmother sat right over there. And on a certain testimony night, uh, his great-grandfather stood up his back to all of us and read from Isaiah chapter 6 and that powerful description of God and the angels surrounding God singing, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord, and uh, it was very powerful even as he read it, and then he wheeled about and looked at all of us with the question, how do you see him? And that's the question I want to bear down on this morning. How do you see Jesus Christ in his passion? When I think upon the last days of Jesus, I see, I see one that was determined to do what the prophets had foretold him to do, namely, die. Die for our sins. Bear the silence, the sentence, and the sin that threatens to send all of us apart from Jesus into hell. His entire life, if you think about it, was pointing in the direction of the cross. Would you agree with that? And he wasted no time in telling his followers that. In fact, in John chapter 12, Jesus had some Greeks that came to him. He just days away from dying, and they, they were requesting an audience with him by going through his disciples, and they asked the question. They said, sirs, we would see Jesus. And you would think Jesus would say, yeah, and, and, and offer that audience to them, but rather because of his focus was like a laser beam on the cross at that time. His reply to them was, "Except a grain of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears what much fruit." In that moment, as he contemplating dying and the fruit that would come out of his death, the Bible tells us in John chapter 12 that he was literally overwhelmed with the weight of the cross settling upon him. In fact, He says in that passage, he says, my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came. And then he says, Father, glorify your name. And it's it's not as if the father was listening in. The father was listening in and he breaks out and The voice of God the Father speaks back to him. He says, I have glorified it, and I'll glorify it again. The people heard it. They thought, thought, what was that, thunder? Was it an angel? And Jesus, referring to what he was like a laser beam on, said these famous words, And I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Clearly referring to the cross that he was going to. And whether you accept him or you reject him, you can't ignore him. The cross draws everyone eventually. The very road to the cross was a painful one. And by the time we get to Matthew chapter 27 as we do this composite of the Gospels, Jesus has already suffered a number of hurts And now he's standing before Pilate. It says, when the morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. He's standing before Pilate. And rid yourself of the sanitized version of Jesus in this moment. The agony has already begun. He has already at this time suffered the agony in the garden just the chapter before where he tells us in, in in verse 38 of that chapter it says he says my soul literally the Greek says it my soul is surrounded by sorrow it, it, it literally pictures the deepest kind of depression someone could experience and the pressure is so great upon him that his capillaries break and mix in with his sweat glands and this this crazy, rare phenomena occurs. He has a hematidrosis, which means it just he, he sweats blood. And for those of you, and we live in a day I have never seen, in my 35 years of pastoring, I've never seen a, a pandemic of anxiety like I see it today and of depression amongst Christians even. And I don't get it. I I see it. I recognize it. I try to minister to it. All I can say to you is your Savior knows. He has been there. He has taken it deeper than anyone has ever taken it. He's already suffered that agony. And he's suffered the agony of betrayal. Judas, with some 60 temple guards, has already come into the garden where he was praying and then does the unthinkable. Psalm chapter 2 tells us that the way you symbolize your trust in the living God as you kiss him. That's, in, that's at the end of Psalm 2. And that's exactly what Judas does as a signal of betrayal. And if you've ever been betrayed, and some of you have been betrayed, at the most visceral level you've been betrayed, know that your Savior understands. Amen? He's experienced the agony of friends. There's, nothing, there's fewer things worse than losing a friend who loves you and yet runs from you and denies you. But Jesus knows. And those were just, just the internal agonies. By this time, he's already suffered the agony of not one, not two, but three illegal Jewish trials. As he stands before Pilate in this moment, he has been mocked. He has been spit upon, and he has been brutally beaten. He's gone from one Jewish kangaroo court to another. Pilate has already tried to pawn him off by giving him back to the Jews. The Jew says, "We don't." He goes, "You, you kill him. You, you, you execute him." They say, "We can't do that. We have no jurisdiction to kill you." You Romans own the, owned the, owned capital punishment. By the way, if the Jews had had their way, they would have stoned him, but the Old Testament demanded that he be crucified. Amen? So he got him back. Then tried to pawn him off to Herod when he found out that Jesus was from that jurisdiction. Herod just sent him back to Pilate. In the meantime, we're not going to read verses 3 through 10, but you have... You have Judas who suffers betrayer's remorse. And he takes the money that he betrayed Jesus, the 30 pieces of silver, the very price of a slave, and chucks it back at those he bid with. And he hangs himself. And he didn't even do a very good job of that. What a loser. By the way, Judas's remorse was real. His tears were not fake. He was very remorseful, but he was never repentant. And unless you repent, you will perish. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. You can cry over your sins. You can cry over your circumstances. You can cry over all kinds of things and mean it. But worldly sorrow will never get you into the kingdom of God. And that's what Judas had. Back to our text, verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. Interesting answer, isn't it? But when he he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave what? No answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear the many things? They testify against you. But he gave him no answer. Not even a single charge. So that the governor was not just amazed, but what? Mega, greatly amazed. So Pilate has a dilemma. What to do with an innocent man? And before this whole thing is over, as you composite the gospel accounts, he doesn't declare Jesus innocent once, but twice, three times, and then crucifies him. He starts with his dilemma, with a mere inquiry. He says, are you the king of the Jews? This was the, this was the accusation the Jews brought to Pilate. The Jews knew that Pilate could care less about the religious laws that Jesus was violating, according to them, which he wasn't, but they knew if they could stick him with a political, like political insurrection, claiming to be a king, that could stick. And that's why Pilate asked him, are, are you king? Jesus' answer is really interesting. It's an interesting idiom. He gave the exact same answer to Judas hours earlier during the Last Supper when he said, one of you would be betray me. Remember, Judas says, is it I? Well, he knew he was. Jesus gave this answer. You've said so. When he was interrogated by Herod, same answer. You have said so. This is an idiom in those days which simply meant, yes, that's true. So he was no threat to Rome in that moment, okay? Uh, Not not as such. But he tries inquiry. That is, Pilate tries inquiry. Then he tries intimidation. You saw it there. Uh, Do you hear what what they're testifying against you? By the way, this is what bullies always try to do. They try to intimidate, don't they? But Pilate is stymied. He's absolutely stymied by... The answer that Jesus gives him, and what was the answer? Silence. Silence. Of course, this was what was prophesied, correct? Isn't this what we prophesied? This was prophesied of Jesus. Like a lamb before his shears is silent, so he what? He opened not his mouth. Anytime someone would stand before the governor and get that opportunity, they would plead their case. I mean, have you ever been to a jail or a prison? I, I've never met a guilty person there. They, they can tell their stories. They, they've got their excuses. This is what Pilate experienced, or at least expected from Jesus, didn't get it, got silence. Jesus is, the, he, by the way, he did the same thing to the Jewish leaders. He did the same thing to Herod. He's the first one to ghost anybody. And why not? The writer of Proverbs says, Answer not a fool. What? According to his folly, right? About a decade ago, our church was falsely accused of something by another institution. And it hurt, it was bad. I was ready to go public with the rebuttal. I had it, it was brilliantly written. praise God for the Holy Spirit, and a few other pastors looking over my shoulder. And you know what we chose? Nothing. We said nothing, and God exonerated us. Amen? Then Pilate would eventually exert his power. Not in this text, but it's in John's gospel, we, we, we get the expanded version of his time before Pilate. John tells us that after Pilate had flogged Jesus, Jesus was still silent, and then he goes into this apoplectic meltdown and says, don't you know who I am? I have the power to crucify you. Remember that? And Jesus breaks his silence, says, "I uh, know you don't. You got no power unless my dad gave it to you. I'm not the pawn here. You're the pawn. Back to the narrative, verse 15. Now, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they had wanted. Let me explain this to you. This is, this is, this is part of Pilate's plan to, get to, to exonerate Jesus somehow. This is the Passover. Remember what the Passover was, right? Passover was the reminder of the exodus from Egypt, 400 years of bondage. Moses leads them out. It's the greatest moment in Israelite history. And they celebrate it every year. And here they are under Roman domination. So the frustration was at an apex every Passover. And so there was this. the air would be filled with a sense of Freedom. We want out of this. We want to break this yoke. But the Romans were smart. They understood this. So, what they did every year was, in order to sort of assuage some of that fervor, they would release a prisoner as if to say, We understand what you're celebrating here. Here, here's one of your bad guys. So, that's Pilate here, verse 16. And then he had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus who's called Barabbas? Notice his description of Jesus. How many of you, how many of you have Jesus Barabbas? Raise your hand if you got one of those. Some of you have that. I'll come back to that. You got, you got the right one, by the way. Translation. Translation. Verse 18, for he knew that it was out of envy that he had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man. I've suffered much because of him in a dream. How would you like that note handed to you? Now the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus, who's called the Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So Pilate makes his second from the last ditch effort to release Jesus by using the tradition to release a prisoner and not just any prisoner did you notice that Barabbas is described as notorious which just means exactly what you think it means to be noted he was a noted prisoner all we know is we composite Matthew, Mark Luke and John as that this guy was a cold blooded insurrectionist rebel and a murderer look at verse 17 why would Pilate differentiate Barabbas from not just Jesus, but Jesus, who's called the Christ. He does it twice. You see that? Jesus, who's called the Christ. Why would he do that? Because some of your Bibles, if you have an NIV, or if you have a new English translation, or if you even have a message translation, a few others as well, even even the complete Jewish Bible with the New Testament has the name Jesus in front of Barabbas. Am I right? And I think there's good reason to believe that belongs in there. The name Jesus was a common name. This was Jesus Barabbas. That's why Pilate gives the description. Who do you want me to release, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus the Christ? I think, I think Pilate was messing with him. Now, some people think, why isn't, it in, why isn't it in the ESV, the New King James, and a number of others? Some people think it's because the scribes removed Jesus to clear up confusion. Some people think that he, just because it's the name above all names, it was irreverent to keep it in. We don't really know, but we do know that Pilate hated the Jews, and especially the Jewish leaders. He'd had several run-ins with them. And here I, I, think, I think Pilate was toying with them. I mean I mean surely they're not going to let a cold-blooded murderer go free. Or would they? It sounds like Satan wasn't just possessing Judas. His demons were whipping up the crowd. Crucify him they said. And I said by the way this is the second from the last ditch effort to release Jesus. What was the last ditch effort? that Pilate used to release Jesus? The answer is found in verse 26. Look at it. Then Pilate released for them Barabbas. This is after he washed his hands of him and all this. And having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Now this is where you got to put, you got to harmonize the scripture. And John tells us, That between the scourging and the crucifixion of Jesus, Jesus was brought back to Pilate. And Pilate then presented him to the crowd with the famous line, Behold the man. Here was Jesus, literally scourged. The scourging was called the halfway death. If you've seen The Passion of the Christ, you can't see it more than once. It's so, probably very close to what took place. It is a, they called the person who hit the condemned the lictor, with a cat of nine tails. They literally would shred their victims to the bone they would be virtually unrecognizable. They were little little more than a shredded piece of meat when they were done. Many died. And I think Pilate, by bringing him up after the scourging, by presenting him to the people, by saying, behold the man, it was his desire to get the crowd to say, oh, that's enough. But instead, satanically Whipped up, they all said, crucify him. But not before one last stopping point. Verse 27, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and gathered the whole battalion before him, probably 60, give or take. They stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, put a reed in his right hand. Look at this mockery. They kneeled before him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him, took the reed and struck him on the head. And then they had him, they mocked him, they had stripped him of the robe and put his clothes on him, led him away. The Roman soldiers were notorious and infamous for playing cruel games. I've been to this very spot where they do this a couple of times. They take condemned prisoners and dressing them in costumes, they would literally move them around a board. We have a picture of that. This This is the very board. This is the very carved into concrete that Jesus was moved around. Mocking him. Beating him. So humiliating. But even then, Jesus Christ was no pawn. They were the pawns. Isaiah 50 says this is exactly what has to happen. His beard was ripped out. And again, this... Man, behold the man. How do you see him this morning? Consider this as we wrap things up. Jesus, the life giver, died for Jesus, the life taker. And Peter said as much when he preached the second time in Acts chapter 3. Look what Peter said. He said this. Acts chapter 3, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life. Look at that contrast, whom God raised from the dead. To this, we're witnesses. If you think about it, Jesus Barabbas wasn't the only one with a beautiful name, Judas Iscariot had a beautiful name. Anybody naming their kid Judas? I see some Judes, some Judas, some Justices. I don't run into any Judases, but they're all variations of the exact same name. You know what his name means? It means praise. And no one deserved less than Judas. Like Barabbas, he was a life taker. Jesus is the life giver. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me because I am the consummate life giver. In his own ear, Jesus said to Judas during the last supper, when he said, one of you is going to betray me. And Judas actually leans into him and says, yeah, it me. That's when he says, you say so. And then Jesus in his ear said, it would have been better for that man if he'd never been born. I pray that's not true of you. Because if you die in your sins, it would be better that you had never been born, than to reject, to have rejected the giver of life. Secondly, Jesus took your silence before man so that you would not have to stand silent before God. Do You know, everyone outside of Jesus stands silent before God. And even as the Apostle Paul laid down the law, he said in Romans chapter 3, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be, say it, silenced and held accountable before God. Just the other day, I was with a group of guys hanging out, believers, and they would brought a friend. Who was a debater? I'd never met the friend before, not a Christian. But he came ready. I didn't know he came ready. And the next thing you know, we were having quite a conversation. He loved to debate. His friends had heard him debate. At the end of the conversation, here's what he said to me Normally, the guys I debate don't have answers to my questions. You did. He was silent. And I pray that his silence will give way to trust in the one who gave his life so he could have life. The last scene of humanity in the Bible is going to be, some of you are going to be there. This is my fear. your pride, you're religious, and you're lost. The last scene in the Bible is in Revelation 20. Where the Apostle John describes the scene like this And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. And I saw the dead, small and great, because God is no respecter of men, standing before God. And the books were opened, and another book, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged in accordance with their names. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. When I read that last scene of condemned humanity before God, you get not one word from them. They're lost, they're damned, and they're silent before the living God. Jesus took your silence before man so that you wouldn't have to stand silent before God. Amen? You have a word. You have, you, we are the Easter people. We are the hallelujah people singing praise to our God. Be thankful for the one who took your silence. Thirdly, Jesus became unrecognizable so that you might recognize him. Have you ever wondered what the purpose? What purpose did it serve to mutilate Jesus before he went to the cross and bore our sins? Well, you say, well, that was, it was prophesied, and sure enough, it was. Isaiah prophesied, and here's what Isaiah said. He said this, Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being That's what scourging did. And his form marred beyond human likeness, absolutely shredded and unrecognizable. But that's just the prophecy. That's not the purpose. What was the purpose? I think, I think the purpose was to serve as a visual depiction of what Jesus absorbed in his body on the cross, namely, our disgusting, our revolting, our disfiguring sin. That's why. I think it was a visual depiction of what he was taking internally. Just the other day at our men's breakfast, a couple, of, a couple hundred guys over here enjoying fellowship. They had a panel, and I was really, really blessed by the panel. We had one of our pastors. We had one of our faithful deacons. uh, We had the guy who shared the gospel with me before I was a Christian was up there. That was so cool. A couple of new Christians, one newer than the other. And the newest one was given a question. And the question was this. The question was, What do you say, what do you say to a daughter who has professed faith in Christ, but she's moving in with her boyfriend, what would you say to her? I've prayed with these very parents, by the way. The young man thought for a little while, and he gave a brilliant answer. And I can't give you his complete answer, but I have to tell you what blessed me more than anything. In the moment, he instinctively took a hold of that which was around his neck, the cross. And he said, I wear this cross all the time as a reminder to myself, as a visual reminder to myself and to others that I have given my life for the one who was mutilated and died for me. That's what he was saying. In the hopes that they would see him too. How do you see him? Jesus took your silence, he took your sentence, and he took your sin upon himself. Your religion won't save you. Your baptism won't save you. Your good works won't save you. Your spirituality won't save you. Your knowledge of the Bible won't save you. But Jesus will. If you will see him today as the one who died in your place, your silence, sentence, and sin bearer, and rose again. How do you see him? Let's pray. Our God, we love you and praise you and thank you for the passion of your Son. We thank you, Lord, for his steadfastness, for his silence. Thank you, Lord, for the one who would bear our sentence and our sin upon himself in his body as so brutally depicted both in prophecy and when it happened. Lord, I pray, whether we own a cross, necklace, or not, may we pretend in this moment that we do and hold it as that which portrays who we are and to a world that we love him. So as to keep us from doing things that would dishonor your name. I pray for those in this room who don't know Christ. If that's you, dear friend, you might be remorseful of your sins but I would remind you that Judas was remorseful. You need to repent, turn to God, believe the gospel, believe Christ died and rose again for you right now from your hearts and with all of your heart, believe on him and be saved. May those of us who have been exalt in him and lift up his holy name. We pray in his holy name, even the name of Jesus and all God's people said, let's all stand.